everybody. Welcome back to So to Speak with RHFP. I'm your host, Laura. And this is Sarah. And today we're joined by a special guest. Her name is Mel Smith, and uh, she is a Navy spouse. So we're going to invite her in. Hello. Can you hear us? Hi. Can you hear me? We can. I can hear you. Yes. You can probably barely see us because I forgot to put on my ring light. So we're a little dark. (laughs) Oh, wow. Fancy ring light. (laughs) Well, we need it for the closet. It's really yellow in here. It's it, We've got a nice sepia tone going on. We look like we oh. both have jaundice. I bought one last year because I had to do this work thing and be on video. Yeah. Like the great thing about COVID is like nobody wants to video chat anymore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, no. No. Because no. they're like, I don't want you to see my house and I don't want you to see what I'm wearing. Right. Yeah, just face up. And even then, I don't know, people got so tired of doing it. I mean, so many yes. people were home last year that it was like, after a while, you're like, I don't know. I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Sarah, that's Actually, the same t-shirt well, you've worn <laughs> the last have four you consecutive <laughs> Yeah, it kind of looks like you haven't showered. I've washed it at least <laughs> twice since yeah, then. I yeah. <laughs> I think people also just didn't want to talk to people anymore after a while. I just stopped getting anything. No, I agree with that. I mean, I don't know how to socialize with people anymore. Tailhook was a real experience. That was the most I've talked in like I two years. I was like years. zero to a hundred. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you, we just talked to each other and then that was yeah. everybody else. <laughs> when then you have like the same conversations with people too. And you're like, okay, I can do this. Like this isn't having to do in-depth conversation. Like, okay. But then they throw you a ringer and you're like, what? I don't know. This isn't on that. my script. I don't know. Yeah. Um, what? <laughs> um, you guys are one up on me. I've never been to Tailhook. <laughs> no, haven't been. No, I thought you had just because I heard about the shenanigans with uh, Japan getting a, like what two years ago they they took a plane out there. Mm-hmm. They did. <laughs> uh, that was my husband was like, we're not going. Um, he was like, let the JOs go and like have their fun and do the thing. Uh, yeah. He was like, I'm not interested. Plus, it was like they used to come home for halfway through their deployment for like three weeks. So for a whole week of that, you would have been like traveling at tail hook and then traveling back. So it was just kind of like, not just like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) I'm with those jokers all the time, all the time. Yeah. I already see them all the time. I mean, I, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you only have a three week window. Right. I can't say like Reno, Nevada would be on the top of my list if I only had three (laughs) weeks with my spouse. Yeah. And do you guys have kids? No. Okay. I don't gonna, have kids. Yeah. You don't want I, children. Yeah. No, well. Hey, more power to Listen, you. Listen, I. There, there are a lot of freaking work. Yeah. Just like not our thing, which yeah. is like weird in this community. That's why you're like uh, glowing and you, you look, look like really happy and you rested. <laughs> yeah. Is that what it's I'm like? like? I was literally about to ask. Yeah. yeah. What is your, what's your secret? Um, yeah, I don't have children. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I work 8,000 miles from my colleagues. Oh, wow. You said 8,000? Yeah, I think it's 8,000 miles to D.C. I want to know, so for the people that are tuning in now, mm-hmm. like we already introduced you, but I would love to know like a little bit of a background on you because I was so excited to have you on and talk shop and all things that you do, but. Sure. Hold on. I'm going to pour over a little bit more coffee and let it drain. I guess it's, it is a different what time. Ta- zone, yeah. So, so you're not drinking. Wine what like time is are. it there? It's eight o'clock on Monday morning, Ohio Gazimas, uh, here in Japan. 
So yeah, early morning. Mm -hmm. Um, So my background, let's see, I worked for the state department. I've worked there about 10 years now, which it's like hard to believe I've worked anywhere for 10 years. I didn't start there. I started, I graduated from college right after 9-11. The dot-com bubble had like burst. Nobody could find a job to save their life. Plus you're like right out of college and you literally have like zero skills. Yeah. So a really (laughs) great time to be done with school. Yeah. Yeah. So I moved, well, I went to Europe and like backpacked through Europe and did that whole thing where you like avoid life for a while. Sure. Yeah. You eat pretty loved it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then I came home and my parents are like, okay, what the fuck? (laughs) 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 What are you going to do? So um, I had no plan. So I stayed at home. Well, I didn't live with my, I lived with my parents for a little bit, but I'm from Fort Walton Beach, Florida. I stayed there for about five years and I worked. I would have too, if that's where I was from. Yeah, I know, you know, it's like a great place to grow up Mm -hmm. and I know love people love it. Like you get orders to Eglin or Hobart and you're like, oh, this is the life beaches. Everything's great. But when you grow up there, like for me, it was just a little bit like, okay, I don't want to live here anymore. Small town, get out of here. So I was working for my dad. And then at some point I was like, I'm not like really interested in this job. What am I interested in? And I just, you know, like reading a lot, like doing a lot of like, how do I find like, you know, at that time too, like when I went to college, it was like all about finding your passion and like having this great job. That's your passion. And I didn't have that. So I'm like, how do I find that? Spoiler alert. I don't think that really exists. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'm just cynical, but like. You're just happy if you can find a decent paying job. Maybe like six to nine years post-grad, but I feel like at front, you just got to get your foot in the door now. Anyway. Yeah. Almost. Right. So I had like, through some like long convoluted chain of like friends and network hooked up with some people in Afghanistan. And so in 2007, I told my dad, I was like, Hey, I'm going to go to Afghanistan for the summer and I'm not going to be at work. He's like, I'm sorry. It sounded like you said Afghanistan. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly how it went. I think the night before I left, he like showed up at my house and he's like, I'll pay you not to go. And I was like, Oh no. You're like, how much? No, no, no. Right. (laughs) So they were not thrilled. So I went to Afghanistan um, with a local NGO, like they were doing education work. They were primarily focused, like this was 2007. So they had been primarily focused since 2001 at that point on helping kids that had not been in school and educated, get up to like the grade level, get them in school and get them up to grade level so that then they could reintegrate back into a public school. Um, And then what they were also starting to transition at that point, because I guess at that point, 2007, you have kids that have been born since the Taliban collapse, since the U.S. invasion, who now can go to school. But maybe there's like reasons their family haven't been sending them to school, Um, financial reasons. Like maybe they've had, you know, a lot you saw a lot of kids in Kabul begging in the street. Mm -hmm. They could make like eight to 10 bucks a day begging in the street. So their families would prefer to have them doing that than going to school. So this organization was like doing things like paying kids eight to $10 a day to go to school instead of to be out in the streets. So I had that like time there and it's sort of like life altering when you've like lived in your little like privileged bubble for 28 years of your life. So has that always been a passion for you or how did you end up there? So I think like 9-11 was my senior year of college and my Uh, my undergrad degree was in geography and like human geography. So I always like was interested in like anthropology and like people and traveling and things like 
global issues. But I also think like 9-11 was such like a landmark event for like our generation that it was hard to like not be inquisitive about this place. And like, how did this event and this like horrible thing come out of this place? Right. So there was like definitely a curiosity about it and trying to understand it. I mean, I grew up pretty lucky. Like I got to go to Europe on like summer vacation in like eighth grade or whatever, like 10th grade. So I was like, not totally like sheltered, but there was definitely parts of the world, like, you know, even being 22 years old, I had no idea about. So that was sort of, I think that's like where the pull and the draw came from initially um, to be curious about Afghanistan. And then I went there and it's like just this amazing place. And it was like so different from any place I had ever been. I was like so fascinated with it. How so? It just like, just the, it's, I really had never been anywhere in like the developing world. I'd never been in a country so poor as Afghanistan for one. So to like actually see poverty. And so I had never really seen those types of things. And then you get there and you see things and you start to see like just basic, like the basic like connections of humanity that everybody wants sort of the same things to protect their children, to like live peacefully. Um, And you see that people want that and you start to understand that, but also like the food is amazing. Afghan food is amazing Um, to anyone who's never had Afghan food, go find an Afghan restaurant. Um, I actually hope like the outcome of this whole, you know, evacuating all these people out of Afghanistan to the United States. And we keep comparing it to Saigon in the seventies. Well, what we got out of Saigon is like all these great Vietnamese restaurants, everybody eats pho, like, this like really interesting cultural infusion into our society. I'm like really hoping in like 20 years, like we're all going to like Afghan restaurants to have like (laughs) Bolani and like their Mantu, their little dumplings and things like that. So um, just that, you know, we accept them and and let them, you know, be part of our society and accept them with like open arms. Yeah. I mean, uh, the food's a plus too. (laughs) Yeah. I hope that too. It's been interesting to see how like open people have been considering what was that six years ago, seven years ago when we were talking about Syrian refugees and trying to bring more Syrian refugees into the United States. And the public discourse on that was completely different. Yeah. And this is a different scenario. Sure. We have a different relationship, I think, with Afghanistan and Syria, but it's good to see that people are open so far. I've seen that. Yeah. Like a larger majority are definitely more open. Which is yeah. good. I mean, there's it, it's always going to be like the loudest voices are going to be like the the craziest voices or the dissenting <laughs> voices. But for the most part, I you know I just hope that people months from now because this is a long game now, you know, and so yeah. like it's wonderful to donate and and assist right now. But we're talking like they came over here with nothing, and they are <laughs> going to need a lot of help for many years to come. So I, I just. I hope it continues and that people continue to embrace them. I hope so too. And I hope in general, people are become more open towards refugees in general. So, and I think I've Lutheran social services, they've done a few town hall meetings. I tuned into one of those and there were like hundreds upon hundreds of people on the phone. And I was really encouraged. I remember thinking after I got off that town hall, the questions people were asking, it's like, they seem to be, people are definitely interested in like, how do I donate now? How do I get things, you know, to a drop-off point so that families can have these things. But you also heard a lot of like, how do I sponsor a family? 
Yeah. Um, how do I get like involved in more long-term ways to like help people and more sort of like in your face kind of tangible ways than just dropping something off and leaving yeah. it. So I hope that that's like a good trend for us. So since you have sort of an added relationship to Afghanistan, I guess, right? Because you've been there. I know it's really taken a toll on a lot of people here. Um, Laura has talked about it at length. What has that been for you? Um, I think it's been, it's been hard. I would say somewhere around January, maybe October, December of last year. Like, so my Twitter feed, I have like, you know, my Twitter divided up into its little categories and I have an Afghanistan Twitter feed. Um, I used to work, I went back to Afghanistan in 2011 and 12 and worked at U.S. Embassy Kabul. And back then, like you just wow. kind of followed the Twitter day to day for the journalists. And what did Kabul. you do there? Um, I was, I worked in the political and military affairs section and I was a strategic planner. So we worked with U.S. forces, Afghanistan and the NATO um, alliance on developing the operational plan for the war, which was, there was both like the battlefield kinetic piece, but then there was the piece that was like, how do we do international development, build rule of law, public health, all of those things. So we were more focused on that side of it, less on the combat side. And this is all under the umbrella of the state department. Yeah. So you would sit in your office, you know, during the day, we didn't leave the compound a lot and you had your Twitter on and you're just kind of like watching what's going on in the city. Like, especially if you heard explosions, gunfire, things like that. And how often would you hear that? Fairly frequently. The embassy, when I was there, it was attacked twice. Wow. Um, And we were locked up in the, like the main hardened embassy building for, I spent the night there one night we were taking RPGs into the sides of the buildings. I was going to ask you if you had any like crazy stories that you could share. That, that, there was one, the first attack, I think it was September, 2011, when I was there, that one was kind of intense. There's a GQ article about it somewhere. It was kind of wild too, because I think it was that attack. Geraldo Rivera was on the embassy compound to do like an interview. Oh yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. (laughs) And they had to get him off. And so I remember we were like standing, we were like, I don't know. I just remember standing and you could see like their convoy pull up and you could see them like running, like the whole, I guess, Fox news team running to get in the car and like get oh out of there. <laughs> um, but that, so yeah. that was kind of wild. That was like the first time too, where you're like, Oh shit, people want to kill us. <laughs> Cause when I was there in 2007, it wasn't the, t- it wasn't so tense in Kabul. I was with Afghans. I was with only two other Americans. I wasn't, there was no, like, I wasn't, I wasn't sitting in this huge, com, in the middle of a huge compound that had yeah, the U.S. Right. government written on it. that was a target. So right. um, that was definitely a little bit like intense. We ended up spending the night in our office. And when you're in those situations, and I think like a lot of people in the military probably have a similar experience, like the way you get through those things is like gallows humor and like ridiculousness and like stupid stuff. So I remember we're like locked in our office. We had to pull all the shades, turn all the lights off. And we're doing like completely ridiculous things all night. Like at one point there was some like beastie boys, sabotage, like (laughs) dancing. (laughs) You're like playing heads up seven up. Like anything Um, to distract from. Yeah. (laughs) I guess that's before uh, no. Benghazi, right? Because Benghazi was what, 2013. Yes. This was it, kind of when I got to Afghanistan was really the beginning of sort of the Libya 
and really Syria, sort of the Syrian civil war starting. So those were happening in like a parallel universe. And like I had other colleagues working on those things, but like when you're kind of in your situation out at an embassy, you're not really like thinking about what's going on. Yeah. You're like, yeah, did you play Heads Up 7 Up today? I don't think so. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, We had Jenga. We had these. Did you use a stapler as a pillow? I don't think so. (laughs) Were you playing Uh, Jenga while there were RPGs like hitting your building? No. 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 Yeah. We had a pile of body armor in our office (laughs) and people were like sleeping on that. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Wow, that's intense. That is so surreal. That is surreal. What is my life? It is surreal, especially now that I say that. I'm like, oh, that's crazy. I can't believe you did that. And how long did you work there for? A year, a year, full year. But we had the after that attack. What we learned is so we had like all these snacks because people send you care packages. Mm -hmm, You get all this stuff, and they were in all these cabinets. Well, for a while we were locked out of our office, so we were locked out of our snacks. Oh no! And then they come around with MREs, and everyone's like, "I don't want, I don't want an MRE." You're like, "But my cheeses are right in there." Can you just? Is it possible to go down? Like, can can somebody put the the body armor on and just? Is that rock, paper, scissors? Yeah. Okay. You got the, yeah. the shortest straw. So Go we learned our lesson after that. And we created these boxes and we'd put snacks in them and yeah. we'd seal them up. And it would say like one hour or like hour one, hour three, hour eight. Oh God. And then, so that you for the future, like if this happened again, if the duck and cover, because it's called a duck and cover alarm that mm-hmm. goes off and there's attack. Okay. If the duck and cover alarm goes off, the idea is you grab the snack boxes and take those with you when you go. <laughs> yeah. So lots of lessons learned after that first sort of experience. Um, But that's, that was pretty wild. I was fortunate. I had, it happened right after lunch. I had already come back from lunch. I was already in the building sitting at my desk when it started. Yeah. But I had a lot of colleagues. The compound was divided by a road. A lot of people lived and worked on the other side of the compound from where I lived and worked and that side of the compound there's no hardened structures. Um, so people are literally running to get mm. into uh, shelters. And then there's a tunnel because we weren't allowed to cross the road. Then everybody got to the tunnel and then they got people in armored vehicles from the tunnel to like where I worked. Oh, wow. So okay. people were coming in that day, like just kind of coming in the building as armored vehicles pulled up and just loaded people up and everybody was sort of dazed. You could tell, like, they had a much more intense experience than I had because I was just sitting in my office and then all of a sudden you heard, boom. I can't imagine what they must have been feeling. And you slept, you slept in the compound, like they, um, you said they had barracks or whatever. Yeah, we had, um, some people lived in apartments because they built these apartments and a few years before I got there, the apartments sort of like opened and they were like normal apartments, um, two bedroom, two people lived in. Some of them were one bedroom because the other interesting thing about some of these posts and being state department is they have these things called eligible family member jobs. So if you get assigned to Afghanistan and you have a spouse, they can apply to the eligible family member jobs. So I had quite a few friends that were married couples that were working in Afghanistan together um, because the spouse had applied for a job. What were like the jobs like? All kinds of things, like everything from simple things like they need to clear Americans to escort the cleaning staff into the secure areas to clean. So like really basic things like that, but also like super like important things like um, the sponsorship and like the welcoming people, like the onboarding people when you arrived at the embassy, a lot of those people were cleared American eligible family members. In my office, we had um, 
a guy and he was what's called Leahy vetting. So any security forces that we train globally, State Department or DOD have to go through human rights vetting. So like the guy that did the human rights vetting sat in our office and his wife worked for USAID. She was a foreign service officer. So it's a little bit unique, but nobody has their kids there if they have kids. Usually they're older adults. So it's just a bunch of adults living in a compound, um, either single away from their family or the few had their family. So some people lived in apartments. Other people lived in containerized housing units, which is a fancy term for a shipping container with a bathroom in it. And I don't think Kandahar, uh, Bagram, they were in shipping containers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I lived in a shipping container for like five months, four months. How big of and a then shipping my... container are we talking? Well, you know what a shipping container is. Like imagine like what's on a truck. Yeah. That's a shipping And container. you actually and live in like it. half of it. It's like split in half for like two people. Yeah. And there's a bathroom in each That's half. That's like a big trendy thing now in the United States. You know, it is. Freaking millennials and Gen Z turning like shipping containers into houses, like making it oh. chic. Like, you know, like tiny home living. Yes. That's. These are definitely not chic shipping containers. No, <laughs> I would imagine I would probably not, not there. No, These are brought there. to you by the U.S. government. <laughs> but now so, I don't want to go into a shipping container. Do they have roofs? <laughs> they do have roofs. Okay. <laughs> they look pretty similar to how you would expect them to look. Yeah. So the second um, time you went to Afghanistan, were you married? No. By then? Okay. So no. So I've only we've only been married three years. Oh. oh, another reason she's glowing. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> another reason. I, it's just, glowing. I get it. I get you it. Look, no. You yeah. look so rested. You just look so. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We like got married late. Um, both of us. He was. And how'd you guys meet? Oh, this is a good story. Um, so we met on Tinder. Mm-hmm. He was on a debt at Eglin. I had just come back from a work trip in Baghdad. And I got a call that my best friend's dad had died. So I flew to Florida. So I'm sitting in the airport. My parents literally live a mile from the airport in Fort Walton. Mm. But, and there's only one traffic light, but it always takes them 30 minutes to come get me every time. They're like, we're, <laughs> like, yeah, we're packing up right now. We're, we're just, fixing to get know, there. Yeah. Getting in That's the car. exactly. I'll call be like, where are you? Oh, we're just getting in the car. So I was sitting outside waiting and Tinder was like new. So this was like 2014. Um, And I had been on lots of Tinder dates in DC. Like it was kind of the cool thing. You'd be in a bar with your friends, like swiping left and right and getting Mm -hmm. the, you got the match. Like (laughs) it was kind of like, like a video game at that point. So I turned it on when I'm sitting at the airport at Eglin and I'm like, I wonder if anyone down here is on this thing (laughs) and we're swiping left and right. And then he started messaging me and then he asked me out and like, go straight to my nerdy heart. He was like, Hey, do you want to go somewhere and like watch the state of the union dress tonight? Cause it's like end of June. <laughs> you're like, you're like, did we just become best friends? <laughs> yup. <laughs> I, I was like, Oh, that's sweet. And I'm like, but also like, this is not the super bowl. <laughs> you're like, this is a date to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also what bar in the panhandle of Florida is like airing the state of the union address. Right. Well, yeah, that's true. It's a lot of good follow-up questions. So I actually told him, I was like, so I got to be honest. I'm actually here for a funeral. I don't think this is appropriate that I go out on a date with you. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I like totally kind of like blew him off. I was like thinking I was just on here, like experimenting. I wasn't Mm -hmm. really like trying to meet somebody. So then the next day, I don't know if you remember 2014, the giant snowstorm in the Southeastern United States and like all those people in Atlanta, like abandoned their cars on the interstate. Snowpocalypse. Yeah. So they weren't flying because that snowstorm extended all the way to Florida. And my mom calls me the next day because we've been doing tons of like funeral prep stuff. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't with her. I was with my best friend. She's out running errands. She calls me like, she's like, oh no, they're about to close all the bridges in town because they're icing over. I'm going to come get you and bring you home. And this is probably like 2.30. And I'm like, okay. So I go home and it's like 2.30. And I'm like, I don't know, later in the afternoon, I'm like, oh, that guy, he's on the same side of the bridge I'm on. So I like text him. I was like, hey, there's like one restaurant on this side of the bridge. Do you want to go meet at Pepper's? This Mexican restaurant? Peppers. Sure. Peppers. <laughs> yes. As in jalapeno. So <laughs> we went and met at Peppers, had margaritas, ate mm-hmm. chips, did not eat any food, then went to a gas station, got more booze, then went back to his queue room at Eglin, watched cops, and continued to drink until like three in the morning. <laughs> watch <laughs> cops. Why are you so sweaty? I've been watching cops. <laughs> Was I, cops like uh, like I love a good chase? He's like, like me uh, too. Code word for Netflix and chill situation. Uh, no, <laughs> no, we literally, we literally watched, cops. watched cops. We watched cops. <laughs> like make it into a drinking game every yeah. time someone gets we arrested. <laughs> which is one every more time every... before I left. We went to Waffle House. That was the second date. No, oh yeah. hell yeah! Oh, well, that's oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, Florida. That's like a staple there. You know exactly. So we went to Waffle House, and then I left. I had to go to Jordan for work. And then every day I was in Jordan, he would like call me and FaceTime me. <laughs> and then when I came back, he was still on dead at Eglin. And he was like, so on my way back to Lamore, can I come to DC and see you? And I was like, um, okay. I mean, I guess. Yeah. I yeah. mean, are we watching cops this time? Or are we, yeah. Yeah. Not another state of <laughs> so the he, union to watch. Yeah. Uh, what, um... You know. And then he went on debt to Tyndall like the next month and then did the same thing. And then I think he went on debt to Key West after that. And so I went to Key West. And yeah, we just kind of kept West. doing that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I would have totally we, just gone to Key West yeah. all the time. Anytime our, our spouses go to Key West for, he's been a couple times. Did Ryan ever go to Key West for no. a few Oh my God. Well, they get to like <laughs> pretend to like, I think, shoot boats in the water. Like fishermen, they literally pay like local fishermen to go out there and pretend. I don't know if they're supposed to pretend to be like, drug traffickers or what but they like they do passes like yeah Yeah. no no. they're supposed to be like pirates i think it sounds cool and then you're stuck in you know beautiful key west just put the patch on man just put the patch on pretend you're a pirate yeah okay that's interesting i like never those are not the stories i hear from what happens in key west Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah well i'm sure there's a lot about the bar and and yeah no there's a lot that goes down in key west what happens in key west stays in where i'm not privy to all that and i Cause he knows how much it would enrage me. Mm-hmm. I know like what they were getting into in Key West. Oh, actually, <laughs> I just... Like her toilet basically exploded while, while T- Taylor was down at Key West. Sure. He was having the time of his life. Meanwhile, she's sitting there with like a wrench trying to figure out her toilet situation. Mm. So that's always how uh, it happens. Totally. He's actually yeah. had two Key West debts since we've been married, like right before he came to Japan. And both times I was like, Oh, I'll come to Key West. And he's like, oh, no, we're probably going to fly on the weekends. You're like, oh, cool. are you great? I was born right. at night, sure. the I was whole born time? at night, but not last night. Yeah, okay. I know. I'm like, OK, I won't go. <laughs> you didn't have to say that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know if this audio is getting picked up, but there is like, it sounds like there's a seal being, what would you say um, that sound is? Yep. So about two and a half minutes ago, all of a sudden we hear, we're both like, huh? It kind of sounds like my two-year-old saying, no. Oh, yeah. I think Pete's out there like beating a horse or something. I don't, or a sea lion. I don't know what it is. It stopped. So yeah, I don't know if it's picking up or not, but if that's what hear it. It's very you on can't. brand okay. I mean, the, the second episode we ever did, there was literally a pack rat in the wall oh, chewing. Yeah. And I yeah. was sitting there banging against the wall. And we were like trying to get it to shut up. What's that? <laughs> yeah. So it's very on brand, but oh that sounds like something that would happen here. We just have really big spiders in Japan. Oh god. I didn't even think about that. Korea, do they have anything they were? I don't remember like a certain bug in Korea that was hardcore. I don't either. Yeah. No, just trash everywhere. There was a... <laughs> so you'd think there oh, would Japan. be more bugs because there's trash everywhere. Japan has the opposite problem. Like Japan, like you couldn't find a trash can. You literally yeah, could not no, find trash a trash cans, can. The whole, but yet it's, but it's still so it clean. Home. Yeah. But yeah. it's still so clean. It's because they're so like well-trained. <laughs> it's like cultural. Yeah. For them. Like I learned, I remember when I got here, someone told me they're like, oh, you should buy these little plastic bags and put them in your purse. Because when you go out, there's no like garbage cans anywhere mm-hmm. because you're expected yeah. to take it home. So like if you get a Starbucks or something. Yeah. You take it home with you. I mean, it, and it then was beautiful. And the sky's it. really pretty and <laughs> <laughs> it smells nice. Yeah. I mean, the pollution, I think the uh, Korea ran into like, they grew so quickly after the Korean war that they like their infrastructure could not keep up. Like the plumbing was an issue. Like they never updated plumbing. And so like you, you, there's a plumbing issue and then, yeah, they just, it's not the same culturally with like there's trash cans everywhere. I was watching the TikToks the other day. I I personally don't have an account. I don't personally have an account, but I just like have the app and then I just scroll through. Yeah. I'm like cheating the system, I guess. Um, But there was this one um, and it was some Japanese um, volunteers with some American volunteers and they were picking up trash. And I used like air quotes trash because literally they're on the beach and they're picking up trash and it's like the tiniest little pieces of trash to itty bitty. And they have a little bag and they're putting these tiny. I mean, if you had done that on any one of our coasts, you could fill up a Walmart sack in five seconds. Texas Gulf Coast. Oh, yeah. Awful. So I just thought that was interesting. (laughs) Well, when you go like baseball is huge in Japan. So when you go to a baseball game everybody the baseball game is over everybody looks down and picks up all the trash up off the ground like from all the food and the drinks and everything that they had and they either put it in the little bag they brought or as dumb americans i'm just like carrying it all out <laughs> you have out. a yeah. trash You're, yeah and then you have like, like 10 beers in your hand stadium yeah. yeah, but it's all, you sort it all. You put the yeah. plastics, the right. combustibles. Did like, you do that in Korea? I feel like I was always. Well, they were hardcore about like, recycling. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but like at baseball games. Like I don't remember, because we would go to baseball games also in oh, Korea. Oh, I don't remember. It's yeah. like a whole different experience yeah. than America. They were into baseball. They had yeah. cheerleaders yeah. for baseball they, games. Oh, Same gosh. in Japan. It's super fun. It's, it's so, so fun. fun. You don't understand. You don't understand one single word from the time you get there. And that has never mattered less. I mean, it is. KT Wiz was our local team and it was like KT Wizzy is number one. E was one of their chants. And it was just amazing. I mean, they just, they prance. And they would dance on top of the literally prance for, you know, 99% of the game. I'm like, there's stamina too. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I thought I'd go back to a game. Like I was tired just they watching have, the cheerleaders. Like, drum lines in Japan and both oh, are really in a way to have their like drum sections. Shit. And there's like a lot of rules at Japanese baseball too. Like there's an away team section. Mm-hmm. And if yeah. you buy tickets in the away team section, you cannot wear your home team Jersey. Oh, so they don't want like trying to avoid like heckling because they're polite. Right. <laughs> America, <laughs> you know, you get into a fist fight over stuff like that. Yeah. Right. I know. I remember after college, um, I went to the university of Colorado and for some reason they played Florida state, like in, I don't know, 2004, Mm-hmm. So my college friends come to Florida, we drive to Tallahassee, we go to the game. So of course we're like, you know, maybe 500 people in a sea of 80,000 yeah. uh, Colorado fans. And we're sitting in a section and literally everybody's heckling us. And we're like, Hey, we just, we don't actually care that much. The game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We really just came here to drink and have fun. Like why? Yeah. Yeah. That would make me so uncomfortable. <laughs> I'd be like, Oh no. I don't like confrontation. <laughs> I don't like confrontation. Oh, man. so i assume getting back to how you met your husband so you guys then i assume long distance dated for a good while while he was at lamore yeah i don't i don't know like a year yeah it was kind of just like i didn't i don't think i really knew where it was going i don't know if he knew where it was going and you guys then, didn't even know you were dating You're yeah like, i don't know what this thing like, is but we've been sometimes Waffle House, we go, like, like months without seeing each other yeah and then he got, it was the, he was in his department head tour in the Navy, which is like your O four sort of operational tour. And when it came time, like to come towards the end, he managed to get orders to the Pentagon. So he moved to DC. So then I was like, okay, <laughs> this can be real now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I accept this now. Oh, I guess this man's yeah. serious now. And then how quickly did you get married after that? So he moved in. I guess we got, like, I drove with him cross-country. We got to D.C. in December 2015. He proposed, oh, he proposed to me, this is funny, the day before the Trump inauguration. So what was that, 2017? <laughs> I guess trying to, like, lift my spirits. Maybe. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to get political. <laughs> and then we got married. We did the whole, like, military, go get married on paper six mm-hmm. months later. Mm-hmm. And then we had a wedding in New Orleans on St. Patrick's Day in 2018. Oh, hell yeah. That sounds like a yeah. sloppy good time. Uh, that was the best time. It was the best time. So yeah. Did y'all yeah. just go so out to ma- Bourbon Street after that? We did. We had a parade down Bourbon Street. Hell Ooh. yeah. I went to a wedding in New Orleans. And they had a parade and it was just, I yeah. mean, yeah. it doesn't get any cooler than that. Um, it also rained that morning. So by the time the wedding came around, like the weather was beautiful. But I remember, you know, like I took my wedding dress off at the end of the night and I was like, holy shit, what happened to this thing? And <laughs> just like brown. It was I like sent it brown ombre. Like wedding dress, uh, like cleaner people. And they sent me this email and they're like, there is significant damage to the bottom <laughs> third of this dress that we will not be able to repair. And I just wrote them back. I'm like, sorry, rainstorm, bourbon street. It was fun. thanks for trying like i hope you aren't trying to like let another family member use this dress because if so it's going to be a cocktail dress they're going to have to cut it above the knee because bourbon street like if it's at all wet which i think every time i've gone yeah it i mean it rains a lot there it it, It does it mixes with all the crap on the ground and it it does it gets gross and it's kind of smelly i mean it's a good time i've always had a good time but you know yeah you ain't getting that out of the dress no I don't even want to know what's in it. No, I've got yeah. urine, blood, yes. vomit. Yes. yes. There's all, a lot of bodily yes. fluids. 
everything New Orleans. A little hand grenade juice. Oh, God. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) Hurricanes. I think I was just hungover from the amount of sugar in those. My friend had like a horse-drawn carriage. Like all of a sudden it was this. Oh. Yeah, it was outside. And all of a sudden around the corner comes Ashley in this horse-drawn carriage. We were like, what is happening? Like literally. Was this after the wedding? No. For to her for to come walk down the aisle. Before she walked down the aisle, she came in a horse-drawn carriage. And we were like, what? And then she gets out and then a band followed her. And we were like, what? And then right as we had said, what? Fireworks. And we're like, what? (laughs) And a a full band. New Orleans is the best place to have a wedding because they are already like geared for like the theatrics. Right. Oh, yeah. So at our wedding, we had we had the band. It was actually at the end of the ceremony. Everyone Mm -hmm. left the ceremony Mm -hmm. and took the like the second line to the reception site. Mm -hmm. But then at some point in our reception, like these champagne fairies like Mm -hmm. entered the dance oh, floor yeah. and they had these like giant skirts with like champagne glasses all in oh, them and they were sick. wearing like on top it was really cool that's cool um it was like one of my favorite parts of the whole experience so her Other whole than, like, her whole know, reception yeah. was hors d'oeuvres they put the heavy and heavy hors d'oeuvres you guys they yes, literally i did the had, same they had like 75 hors d'oeuvres we did hors d'oeuvres too it's the way to go man oh, 75 yeah, well like i did, we didn't have 75 but we had a decent amount I mean, every time i was, turned around it was great because there was a champagne fairy with wanted. champagne or hors d'oeuvres it literally right, every well we didn't have no champagne it was crazy fairy. it was insane now, i wonder yeah. if they hired out the same champagne fairies I, if there's they, a local new orleans champagne i was just fairy. waiting for somebody to like there drop is. down <laughs> from the ceiling next because they had everything else it was the craziest thing it was awesome live we band had, like so fun like what was like important to us was like our bar. Like I had told the wedding planner, I was like, I don't want that bar where they just like pour some Jack Daniels in a cup and then like pour some Coke on top of it. We want like a real bar. I was like, mm-hmm. people in new Orleans drink real drinks. We want like Sazerac's yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So we had like a crazy bar. Um, yeah. one bar, they were making like smoke cocktails and the bartenders yeah. could make anything you wanted. They could make yeah. mojitos, they could make martinis, they could make Sazeracs, they could make Manhattans, they could make old fashions. It was like, like 50% of your budget went right. to alcohol. I like it. True. Yeah. 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 I would say it yeah, was, 50% of mine went to alcohol and food for sure. Oh, maybe even more than that. Well, food for us. I mean, we food, had 300 yeah. people. So you had 300? Oh my gosh. Jesus Christ on a cracker. That's <laughs> a lot. <Yeah. laughs> we also had a nice. We had a photo booth and you we would go take your picture in the photo booth. And then this cocktail waitress would come around later and she'd bring you a drink and your picture was printed on the top of your cocktail. Stop. All right. Well, yes. I wanted to come to your wedding. Oh my gosh. For your 20th wedding anniversary, can we come? Yeah. If you do a value. Yeah. You guys can totally come. come. Yes. I know. I told my husband, I was like, we're going to have to do this all again. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. He's like, when? <laughs> We're still recovering from the budget on that one. Don't even get Pete yes. started on our way. It's been, we're been almost married 10 years and he still bitches about the tent we didn't use because tent game, like I did ours at our, at my grandparents. I need to get into the tent business. I it's I, because yes, tent, that is lighting, crazy, lighting, you guys, and you don't get the deposit get back. Yes. No. Oh my God. Yeah. No, like we were out so much money for a tent. We didn't even freaking use because yeah. it rained way, like almost up into the actually me going down the aisle so we had to get this like tent on reserve didn't freaking use it. how much you think that tent that do you, you want to know yeah 
$10,000 for a tent we didn't fucking use. I'm not even joking. $10,000 for a tent that was not used. I'm going to drink. I'm going to drink. And I'm sorry. If we had used it, $20,000. You're kidding. Not kidding. I don't, not kidding. Dallas, Texas. I mean, Dallas is kind of fancy, but yes. Yeah. And Pete still talks about it to this day. I mean, I keep thinking now with kids, I'm like, I would have paid for like yeah, right. a semester of fucking college. college. Yeah. Oh, that's all I remember is at the end of our like wedding planning, the closer we got to our wedding date, like the more bills are coming oh, in yeah. and the more yeah, I'm yeah. like, oh, this is disgusting. I can't believe we're spending all of this money or my parents between, I mean, like everybody was kind of paying for Shipping different in. things. And I'm like, yeah. oh, this is like too much money. Make it stop. And it's crazy at the end too. It's like, oh, babe, this little thing that I forgot about, it's only $500. Oh, yeah. And then towards the end, they you just know? give up. Which is yes. funny because when in your life are you like, oh, this cracker, whatever, is only $500. But yeah, when you're well, wedding planning. $10,000 tent. Tent. Where, yeah. Yeah. That you didn't even freaking use. So, yeah, it's just I remember that at the end of the night, it was like, OK, everybody needed to go home by like 1030. And I was like, you know, drinking. I was like, no, we're not going home by 1030. We're staying out. We're pushing until like 1130. And my wedding planner was like, OK, well, that's going to be for the lighting and extra like. 1500 bucks for the hour and for the bartenders did that's you do be it? an extra yeah of course i did because i mean you're already there and you've been drinking and you're having a good time you don't want to stop and at that point it's like feels like monopoly money you're like fuck it, it make does, it rank. you're like yeah <laughs> okay totally, listen yeah. we're gonna start we're gonna start a lighting business i did this <laughs> of lighting and i'm tent, telling you tents. i'll buy the lava lamps we'll throw them on a wall <laughs> i was like you know what like watch that bit shine yeah yeah well, there was like, I remember like there was a candle vendor. I think it was candles. I don't know. I like these like vendors, like it was an individual vendor for just like furniture for an individual uh, vendor for like lighting, but not like electric lighting, like candle lit lighting. Yeah. And they're like telling me how much it's going to cost. And I'm like, I mean, can't we just go to Walmart and buy those? Yeah. You're like, like, I'll just go to Costco and get a 12 like, pack of candles. I mean. What, and everything's like 30% upcharge too, you know, like because it's a yeah. wedding versus anything. Oh, you put else. wedding or baby in front of anything. Yeah, and it's, it's just freaking, I'm in the yes. wrong business. Well, and I feel bad for all these COVID brides. I feel so like lucky that we got married when we did. And just like watching, especially like now, like people coming out here to Japan that got married like right before they got, like after they got their orders so they could come out here and they're all mm-hmm. like, oh my God, when am I going to have a wedding? Or they had weddings planned and they postponed them or canceled them, I would have like lost my mind. Oh yeah. Especially if you do it twice. I mean, like, or or even just once, just like the, you so much goes into it. And and I think a lot of people probably got deposits back, but I'm sure some of them were non-refundable. I'm sure there is things. Yeah. So I'm a matron of honor in a wedding in October and she had to push it back a year um, for that reason. And she said everybody there was really nice and they got first dibs on the re. Yeah. Um, But it, it was, uh, very stress induced. And so, yeah, she's, oh, yeah. Well, it's just like emotional <laughs> right? for yeah. people between the money and then just like the symbolism of it. Yeah. Sure. Sure. For sure. So yeah. after you guys got married, did you then go to Japan after, after Pentagon and, and all that? Yeah. Well, we actually went to Newport. He went to the war college for a year. And originally my plan was to not go to Newport. I was going to stay in DC and just work and then commute to see him on the weekends. But we went house hunting and it was like late August, Newport, Rhode Island. We get up there. We spend like the weekend and I, at the end of the weekend, we're in the, you went to the nicest waffle house. Yeah. They don't. Yeah. I don't think they have a waffle house. Yeah. There is. (laughs) Yeah. 
we get in the car and we're driving back to DC. And I'm like, um, you can't live here alone. Yeah. Yeah. This place is like too nice and too fun. Mm-hmm. I was like, like I think I need to live fall. here too. Mm-hmm. The leaves are changing. Yeah. You're like, yeah, you know. Oh my God. It's like, uh, everything is like perfect there. It's like, it's, like it's definitely its own little bubble. Yeah. So on the car ride back to DC, I told, we already knew we were coming to Japan. And I was like, I'm just going to have to rip the bandaid off and quit my job anyway for moving to Japan. So like, why don't I do it a year earlier? And I can be a Newport, Rhode Island lady of leisure, <laughs> lady of leisure. <laughs> before we go to Japan. And he was like, if you want to do that, I'm fully supportive. You can do that. So we get back to DC and I go into work on Monday and I come home that night and he goes, so did you like tell them? And I was like, no, I chickened out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then the next day I go to work and I'm like pumping myself up because my boss have somewhat of a codependent professional relationship. We've been together for a long time. So I like pump yeah, myself up mm-hmm. to like go in there and like tell him this is my plan. Something happens that day. I don't find time, probably just chickened out also. Mm-hmm. Uh, go home that night and he goes, well, what happened? And I'm like, nothing. <laughs> So Wednesday of that week, I finally like sat down with him. I told him, okay, I'm going to go ahead a year early and I am going to resign. And he looked at me and he goes, well, I knew this was coming. And he goes, but will you telework? And I was like, I mean, sure. It was the beginning of the Trump administration. Like even before the inauguration, the transition team had put out this message that they were putting a federal hiring freeze in place. So by now, like the hiring freeze is in place. So they also know if I leave, they can't rehire behind me. So there was like some of that panic, like anytime anyone wanted to resign or quit, there was a a little bit of flex in the system to try and accommodate. Perfect time for you, right? Oh, yes. Like I totally lucked out. And so um, I was like, yeah, I would totally do it. I also, we had someone fairly senior in our organization who I was pretty close with. And I remember he told me at the end of the conversation, he's like, well, I would love for you to telework. He goes, and I know Alina, this woman that we worked for, she would love for you to telework. He goes, but you have to go in there and talk to her. I'm not going to relay your information. And I was like, oh no. I remember I came home that night. I told Matt, I'm like, so I told Mike that I'm quitting and I'm going to Japan and they offered to telework, but he told me I have to go talk to Alina. And I was like, so freaked out by it because she was a military spouse Um, Her husband was the CEO of uh, submarines and he's retired. But her story is that they got married, they had kids and she stayed put in DC and he PCSed and they did geo batching for his whole career. Oh Oh my God. God. I've heard of that happening, but I've never met anybody that did it. Yeah. So I know this is like her approach to like her marriage and her family and her career. And so I was like, I had a lot of anxiety about having to go in there and have that conversation with her because on like one hand, like, it's not like going to talk to your boss that doesn't really understand the military or military spouse life or military spouse working life. Like she knows exactly what's up and she's made some like pretty different decisions than I probably would have made. Yeah. So I remember I went in there and I talked to her and she, I was like very relieved. She did not pitch me on staying. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. She was like, I get it. I told her, I was like, I didn't get married until I was like 38 years old. I was Mm -hmm. like, I'm not just going to like now live separate for three years at this point. Right. Like, 
So she was like, will you telework? And I was like, sure. And the whole plan initially was just to telework until they lifted the hiring freeze. And then it's just kind of rolled on. I've been teleworking for four years now. Yeah. The fact that you were able to do that in Japan. I feel super lucky because even before kind of becoming part of this military spouse community, which it's weird, I still have a hard time like accepting that as like one of my identities because I'm like, no, like that's not me. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, it's sort of new, but I knew that like work and employment was an issue in this community, but I didn't really understand like the context of it all that well. And so now being in it, I really do understand how lucky I am that I have a organization that's supportive of me and supportive of telework and supportive of, you know, letting me continue to progress in my career. I mean, even though really it was just sort of like, I got a little bit lucky with timing on some things that allowed that. Um, COVID has also been like incredible because I was like the lone person, like my organization state department is not like a telework friendly place. And then COVID happens and now everybody's teleworking. Yeah. So like there's been a cultural shift in the organization and I'm not the odd man out. And it's not weird that I'm not physically there because no one's physically there. And still, even still right now, mm. I guess it's opened up I don't, a little bit. It has opened up a little more people are in the office, more people are going to the office, but not, I don't know that there's like most like kind of worker bees are working 40 hours a week physically in the office and they're back to wearing masks in the building and all those things like this kind of similar things that they're doing at the department of defense yeah where people have like gone back on the mask policy and And you're like you know what i get to like be at home if i don't want to wear pants like no one will know Mm -hmm. because i'm still working and no one will see my my bottom half yeah and And it's okay that you're it's okay that you're not wearing pants by the way like that's totally (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's fine. Right it's now. fine. Yeah, we Sarah got to be and I real close friends either. real quick. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm just kidding. We, we just like to hang <laughs> yeah. out in a closet. That's, that's just kind of, it's also like, so hot in here. It's awesome. No pants. This is actually, I got up this morning. I took my pajamas off and I put on, this is a nap dress. You've not heard it's of a nap, nap dress. dress. That, yeah. That must be for well-rested like, people. That <laughs> Yeah. Shout out to the nap dress nation. Nap dress um, nation. It's like a whole thing. It is. It's a whole thing. Is it like, um, um, I mean, it doesn't look like it, but is it made? It looks really cute. I'll say before I say this. this, is it like a muumu type? Cause like a muumu. Okay. Okay. It's I don't like mean that. Smock- I mean like, oh, I like it. Oh, smart. that's very low. Like Ashley on the bottom. Yeah. yeah. This one is, I have a, so what makes that different too. than, you know, like a normal, this coming from the person that never wears dresses. So I'm just curious to know what time last night. Yeah, added, it's, like, mar- it's marketing and okay. it worked. Got it. It's very um, cute. And it worked. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's this woman, her name's <laughs> Nellie Diamond and she has a company called Hill House Home. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They're on Instagram and that's sort of like how all her marketing, I think, has really been focused. And so she's yeah. sort of like built this cult following. Somebody's um, like, my naps are significantly better yeah. than that dress. <laughs> well, and I think she's been a huge benefit of COVID too, and people working from right. home. Oh, yeah. She's right. Like, I need a Hell work yeah. from home outfit. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. breezy at the bottom, and I can yeah. nap in. It's like do they make it for two year olds trying to potty train? Because that seems <laughs> they do make little girl dresses now. Oh, <laughs> do they? That's cute. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to 
take a quick break and talk to you guys a minute about squadron posters. As a pilot spouse, I've seen my fair share of squadron schlock and bad-looking lithos over the years. Usually they're low quality and slapped on some cheap-looking frame, and I go out of my way to either lose them, hide them, or hang them in the farthest recesses of our home. But Squadron Poster's designs actually elevate my house vibe. I personally have several of their pieces, from their classic location posters that highlight where we've been stationed over the years, to my favorite, their four-foot-long aviator's map that's suspended in the middle of this cool, modern-looking floating frame. Literally, Squadron Poster's currently makes up 69% of all the wall surfaces in my home right now. Their spouse-approved, high-quality prints and canvases are expertly packed, so they arrive at your home ready to hang or frame. And when TMO ruins everything that you've ever loved, which they will, don't worry because Squadron Posters products all have a lifetime guarantee. And right now, we have an exclusive deal for our podcast listeners. Use code RHFP69 at checkout for 10% off your total order and get free shipping to the lower 48. So don't miss out on this exclusive offer. Check out Squadron Posters online at squadronposters.com and use code RHFP69 at checkout for 10% off your order plus free shipping. Are you in need of some badass swag? Do you like free stuff? Well, you're in luck. We've partnered with Badass Patches to offer all our listeners 25 free badass patches with any new custom order. That's a no-shit $150 value. Just mention promo code RHFP when submitting an order, and they'll take care of the rest. Have a pink flag that needs a sweet zap or patch? Your hubby have an upcoming deployment or maybe a restock of your standard squadron swag? This is a place with 24-7 worldwide customer support and a signature no-quibble price beat guarantee. Just pop on over to badasspatches.com and get your order submitted in less than 69 seconds. Badass Patches. We make badass patches for badass people. So as for the State Department, what are you, like, job-wise, what are you doing right now? So I work in the Bureau of Counterterrorism, and I'm a strategic planner there as well. So because I telework and I don't have any classified access we had to sort of, I mean, this is, I think, probably even pre-COVID and probably even now with telework jobs, you know, they have to flex and like build something that works if you're not going to physically be there and see people yeah. and have access to certain systems. So I do, I'm the budget. I developed the federal budget for counterterrorism in the State Department. That's a lot of what I do. I do a little bit of sort of public affairs type work, like writing. And- you must have the fanciest calculator. That sounds so intense. <laughs> I work um, on like annual reports, congressional reports, congressional testimony, um, stuff like that, like stuff that's a little bit easier to do from afar um, where they don't need people physically there. I plan a big conference every year that we're about to start where we bring together people from a bunch of different federal agencies and we talk about what we're going to do with, we have what's foreign aid or foreign assistance where we build civilian capacity to counterterrorism. So this is now where I start sounding very jargony about my job. Um, I'll try not to. Where basically we go out and we use our foreign aid money to help foreign countries like make their police better, make their prosecutors better, make their judges better, make their investigations, but their investigators better so that they can like investigate and prosecute and adjudicate terrorism crimes in their country or 
help their airport security be better at their job or give them better technology so that they can screen people better at the airport before they get on airplanes, make sure terrorists aren't getting on airplanes or anything like that. So we put all that money out there. We help our partners do those things on the civilian side while our military friends are doing whatever they do on the other side, building more of the military. So you've probably been, have you been very busy the last couple months with everything with Afghanistan right now? Like, Yeah, because a lot of what we're having to do now too is we no longer have a partner in Afghanistan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's hundreds of millions of dollars that agencies have between the Department of Defense, the State Department, and USAID that are like in the pipeline to go to Afghanistan um, that have been appropriated over three, four or five years that now we have to figure out what to do with that. Yeah. Um, and for what I do, we, we, I mean, we're not going to train the Taliban on counterterrorism investigations. So yeah, right. We have yeah. to find another uh, use for that money. So it's been out. a lot of conversations mm-hmm. about how, where do we put that money? But also what do you do when you have a country like Afghanistan, where you know the terrorism landscape is what it is, and you know that you have the partners that you have, or they're not partners, but you have a government that you have there. How do you shore up around Afghanistan? Do you invest in Central Asia? Um, what does that look like? Should you put your money in Central Asia? Should you put it somewhere else? So lots of those conversations going on about how we try to continue this sort of Post 9-11, how do we prevent an attack on U.S. soil? Gosh, I imagine, too, like it takes a toll on morale because the last couple of weeks have been really, really rough. I think morale was definitely at a low. Yeah. (laughs) Especially at the end of August. There was, I think, one of the like silver linings to all of this is it's been 10 years since I served at Embassy Kabul. I was there during the surge in the peak years Mm -hmm. during that Obama surge. and. So the embassy was huge and it was like very dynamic and there was a lot going on, a lot of interesting people coming in and out of there and you met a lot of cool people and you, you know, you're in this like closed off situation. So you bond with people, you make really good friends, state department and DC being what it is, like it's a very transient place. So you had that, maybe that year with those people, you come across them again, every now and then good friends, um, But, you know, just over time, you lose touch with people. But a lot of people have been, like, reconnecting. Yeah. Um, Just sort of, like, in a therapeutic way. Like, you know, remember when this happened and kind of telling stories and making jokes of trying to make, not light of the situation, but just trying to make each other feel a little bit better. Right. Yeah. And then on the flip side, also doing some of that networking, like, trying to help um, people that you know that are still on the ground. Um, Luckily, the two... When I was there, we had two local staff that worked in our office, both of them. One of them had been out of Afghanistan for a couple of years, and then one of them got out. That's good. Um, So you personally don't know anybody that's still there? I personally don't know anyone that's still there. Yeah. So that feels somewhat better, even though there's still a lot of people there. Yeah, it's been heavy. Yeah, I'm still trying to get my family out. And unfortunately, I think, like, communication's kind of gone dark, which I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's been interesting to watch also, I think there's like a lot of community, like conversation in the national security community about this divide between the civilian and the military mm-hmm. on the war in Afghanistan or the war in Iraq. And that, you know, like less than 1% of the U.S. population served in Iraq or, or served in the military. Mm-hmm. And then so even in smaller 
uh, percentage served in Iraq or Afghanistan and sort of have that experience. And so it's a little bit isolating for that community. And then, you know, the whole thing about Americans, you know, we're at war, but Americans are shopping at the mall kind of concept. Yeah. It's been interesting to watch this because in the month of August, all of a sudden that war came home to like America in like a major way. And it was like touching people that I don't think thought it would ever touch them Yeah, mm-hmm. or have a connection. I have friends that really have no connection to Afghanistan other than maybe through me because they knew that I was there or they have other people that they knew maybe were there, but they personally don't really have like a real tangible or concrete connection to it that were like reaching out to me like, hey, I have this friend. They're trying to get someone out. They want to know like what information do they need? And kind of becoming part of that, you know, whole thing that they're calling the digital Dunkirk. Yeah. That like never, or even just people that are like volunteering with Lutheran social services and with these refugee resettlement organizations that are like volunteering to mentor a family and to take on a family and sponsor them um, that probably had no connect, maybe had no connection to these conflicts. So it's kind of. That's like was an interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk about maybe some of the stuff that you've done um, on the back end to try to help with efforts over there? Uh, Laura, before we started, said that a lot of the information that we reshare from our page is from things that from you, from you, <laughs> yeah, things that you yeah. shared, or you've done, or um, so we try to make a point to reshare that. Can you explain a little bit about you know what you've done or resources out there? Sure, I really like. I honestly, like, and this is something I've struggled with in the aftermath of this. And as it was going on, I really haven't done that much. Like I said, most of the people I knew were out. So anything, and I'm not physically in Washington, DC. So the state department, they stood up all these task force. They were doing P1 and P2 visas and they were contacting people on the ground and you had people in call centers and like, you know, Now they've got people volunteering to work at the Dulles Expo Center and like welcoming people in and being in Afghanistan or being here in Japan, I was so physically far from that. So that was a little bit. And I have some other friends that I think had a similar sort of like feeling like there isn't anything that I can do Mm -hmm. because I'm far from it. I have another friend that served three tours as a foreign service officer in Afghanistan and she had recently retired. And she told me she was having a lot of like regret and like struggling with her decision to retire because she's a consular officer and she's taken Dari language. So she would have been one of those people in the queue that would have gone back into Kabul. Mm -hmm. Um, So she's kind of struggled with that. I felt the same way. Um, I have another friend who was a consular chief in Turkey. She also had served in Afghanistan when I did, and she speaks Dari. And I think in that first week when things were going really bad, we're like kind of messaging each other. One of my neighbors had brought me these Afghan cookies and I posted them and she's like, can I have the recipe? I need to make those. (laughs) I need to like stress bake. Um, She's lucky. She eventually got the call and they asked her to go into Kabul. She was in Kabul at the airport processing people. Mm. for that whole last kind of two weeks. Yeah. So she got to be like right there in it. And I would just constantly like send her messages of support. I'm like, you don't have to respond to this. Yeah. Just like everyone's so glad you're in there doing what you're doing. Like, thank you. Like, Mm -hmm. I know this is hard stuff like that. So it felt a little like isolating being over here. So I was like, what can I do? Yeah. I know. I mean, I feel like I have a pretty good sense of what are like good resources and what are bad resources. Yeah what's good process, what's bad process, like what 
what is what does the process look on the State Department side right now? So trying to share some of that information with people via social media, um, even yeah. yeah, even just like vetting, like just simple things. Like I don't know if you remember that ch- there's a chaplain at LUD that posted oh, yeah. this whole thing about like send us toothbrushes oh, and snacks yeah, and ribbons. Got overwhelming. Yeah, and I next saw day was that. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I saw that and I was like. I wonder if this is one real yeah, because it had like his name and all this stuff. So I just went on and I like messaged the chapel at LUD and I said, Hey, is this real? Are you, do you really want people to mail you this stuff? Is this like vetted through the installation? Is this cool? And he wrote back and he was like, yes. And I was like, okay, I'll repost it. So I tried to be like careful about the things that I was reposting um, and sharing. And I also felt like, okay, this is a place that's been like very important in my life. Right. And going back to that, like civil divide in America, there are a lot of Americans who like, just don't know a lot about Afghanistan. Yeah. So I was right. like, if I can do anything, just like, what are good articles or like, who are like good people to follow on Instagram, um, that have a good perspective or an interesting perspective, just like reposting that stuff. And just like one, it was sort of like therapeutic to me, but I really did have like a lot of people reach out to me and they were like, thank you for posting that. Like, absolutely. I didn't know that. So that was sort of the best thing I felt like I could do. And then like one small thing, I'm on this like women's foreign policy group and a woman posted these pictures of like certificates for an Afghan that worked for the for the US military and she had all his little like award certificates like this was big in Afghanistan Afghans love an award certificate mm-hmm. and they're like so proud of them and like mm-hmm. <laughs> they want to have their picture taken with them after they complete the course they like yeah, frame them yeah. in their house like those award certificates probably save some people's lives yeah. because they were able to use those so she is posting these award certificates and i'm like looking to see if i recognize any names of the people that signed them and i didn't <laughs> And I'm about to like close the thing and move on. But then I saw something at the bottom of one of them and it said, Ioyas. I don't know if you're familiar with this thing. Uh, it's like- from the aviation ordinance community. Yeah. It's like bomber. You ain't aviation ordinance. You ain't shit. So I saw that and I would never know what that meant if I wasn't married to a naval aviator. Yeah. yeah. And then I scrolled over and looked at the signature and it was a Navy chief warrant officer that had signed it. And I'm like, well, I bet that guy is a, was a gunner in the aviation community. So I'm like, hmm, I wonder if I can find this guy. Did you, so did you find first, him? Yeah. First, I asked my husband, I go, hey, can you look in the gal and yeah. the Navy side and see if you can find this guy? And he was like, no, he's like on deployment. He like doesn't like, he's like, yeah. he's not in there. So then I'm like, hmm, where else can I go? So I hate spouses pages and try not to post on them. But I went to the Naval Aviator spouses page and I was like, hey, here's the situation. Trying to help this Afghan ally get out. Does anyone know Chief Warrant Officer and I his name? Yeah. So then the first response is really funny. This girl DMs me. She's clearly works at the Department of Defense or the, for the Navy. She went into the gal and found him. So I was like, okay, Matt. Yeah, sure. Sure <laughs> you looked. Cool. Sure you looked. Yeah. And I'm, you know, she's probably not supposed to give out this information, but she took a little picture of yeah. the, her computer screen and sent it to me. And then maybe like 30 minutes later, one of my friends here in Japan, she's like, hey, I have a mutual friend with his wife on Facebook. And the mutual friend was also someone I knew. 
And so they got me hooked up with his wife on Facebook. I explained the whole thing to her and she said, we are more than willing to help. And I'm like, okay, can you please call this girl, Katie? Here's her phone number. She's working on his application. All she'll need and she'll be able to explain it is for you guys to write a letter and for your husband to sign it to put into his package. And I was Amazing. like, oh! wow. <laughs> so it's just like small things like that were just happening everywhere. Yeah. Did they Throughout. get out? Did, did, was he able to get I out? I don't know. Yeah. But at least you um, moved I it forward. Know. I mean, like those connections yeah. that like wouldn't have otherwise been there. Yeah. It was interesting to just see that unfold. Yeah. And it was unfolding like everywhere for so many people in yeah. really like ways that I don't think anyone expected. We're all just such small um, pieces to a big chain, small links, yes. really big chain, but you have to want to give it that effort, right? Yeah. I applaud your efforts. That's, I mean, yeah. that you're using That's your resources. Amazing. You don't have to do that, but you are obviously tied to it and want to do that. So I applaud you and your yeah. efforts. I've applauded Laura's efforts a million times because <laughs> we get a lot of people that reach out and, you know, you're just a small link in the fence and, but it takes all the little links, right. To make, to make things it's, happen. It's sometimes. crazy to see like how many connections were made. I mean, that's, it, it ended up saving a lot of people that way, you know, like those connections, like those, all those interpreters that got out that otherwise probably wouldn't have gotten out had it not been for people connecting through social media and mm-hmm. stuff. It's, mm-hmm. It is crazy. It's really, it was amazing for like at this point in time when all the like terrible things that we've seen on social media and like sort of people being like about social media to see it being used in a way that like makes the world better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, that there's light um, in it. Yeah. yeah. Even though, even within this, and I've thought about this like many times, um, I would see like GoFundMe's go up and like, that was kind of I would be like, "Eh, is that real? Like, how do we know that's real? Because there's also a lot of scammers out there that I think we're trying to take advantage. There were also a lot of like rumors going around that the Taliban were fishing, doing fishing, like uh, internet fishing, trying to to find people. Mm -hmm. And they were messaging people and like creating things. Well, you had Um, told me that to watch out. Yeah, I sent you one of those. Yeah, like for people to be like careful about who they were sharing their information with. Mm -hmm. Um, so there were like some people out there trying to like, maybe not do. Yeah. They were capitalizing the right thing. On, on some, mm. Yeah. Yeah. But luckily for once we saw social media doing yeah like really good things. Yeah. I yeah. think that was also like a good thing. It also was like, I think for me, like my physical in Afghanistan experience, it's been like 10 years. I worked on Afghanistan a little bit when I came back directly and then I switched to this counterterrorism job where Afghan, like, and I'm in a strategy position. So Afghanistan's like kind of like one of the like big rocks there, but it's not the focus of my attention day in, day out. And it was kind of nice to like dig back into some of that stuff and like reconnect to some of that stuff personally, even just simple things. Like I went out and bought an Afghan cookbook. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, okay, I want to like, I want to make a uh, man too. <laughs> I haven't done it yet, but I like made the list, but yeah, yeah. (laughs) just simple things like that, like reconnecting to it and like looking like following all the journalists that are there now that are different from a decade ago. And there's been some really amazing things like on the the reporting front that have like come out because a lot of journalists are still on the ground there that have stayed. Um, So like seeing the stories that they're putting out and what they have access to, it's mostly Kabul centric, but they're, you know, pushing boundaries. They've been trying to get out to other places and other provinces and see what's going on and keep I can't even imagine the awareness out there. there right yeah. now. Like 
have, oh, I forget who I was following yesterday that was posting about, yeah, it was a, it was a journalist. I, I want to say she, she sounded like she was British, but yeah, she, she was in like one of the big refugee camps. Um, and, and she was talking about how like most of the children have pink eye and it just sounded awful. But like, otherwise, if, if there weren't people there embedded, yeah. Um, I mean, you wouldn't know, you wouldn't know. No. I remember that day when the Taliban actually rolled into the center of Kabul and like Clarissa Ward from CNN is like interviewing them oh, yeah. on the streets. And I remember thinking like, what is that like? Yeah. Right. What is that like to be standing there as a journalist interviewing these like, and these are not, most of the people she was talking to were just these like random Taliban yeah, dudes like on the street. Dudes. Yeah. Yeah. That are kind of unpredictable. Right. Mm-hmm. And you don't have any U.S. like major U.S. military. Nobody's going to no really gonna come save you. you. Yeah. <laughs> if this goes wrong, like, what was that like yeah. to like have some of those conversations? She said too, like her producer almost got like pistol whipped and stuff. Like, yes. God. So you're right. I mean, it's really unpredictable, and they didn't have security. I mean, it's what her a producer and a cameraman probably, or and maybe yeah. like one other dude so like yeah wow. unless maybe they hide their own like bodyguard but like what's one bodyguard right. versus yeah a bunch of unpredictable 19 year olds with ak-47s that were really enjoying like yeah. pistol whipping people mm-hmm. and like beating them with oh, the butts uh-huh. of their ak-47s yeah, yeah. Well, just like i thought that was like crazy yeah, yeah. Well, as far as like relief efforts yeah. i mean and i don't i don't normally ask our guests this but i feel like you have such a you're so knowledgeable of um, Afghanistan and everything that's going on and your connections. Mm-hmm. And I mean, is there anything else that we haven't covered yet that you'd want to talk about or kind of spread the word about or use this platform to? No, I, I think if people, like you said, this is a long game now here in the United States with all these Afghans that have come here. And so finding ways to continue to like positively bring them into our communities is going to be really important. Yeah. And so, and that's going to look, it's like a little bit different in every community. And that process is still ongoing because we still have people out at what they call the lily pads, like the Ramsteins, the LUDs mm-hmm. and all yeah. those that are still getting processed. You know, at one point, all of the places they were bringing them in the States were full. So then they were holding. So then they have to process those people out to communities yeah. and they're getting kind of pushed out to communities all over America and the refugee resettlement um, tools look different in every community. So like, I think for people that are looking to like continue to stay engaged in that, one of the things you can do is the Department of Health and Human Services is the actual like federal agency that is helping, that does the refugee resettlement. So once those people leave um, places like, uh, I don't know, all the random bases where they're at right now, yeah. like Fort Lee and all these places, um, they get moved by HHS into a community. And in those communities, there are different um, organizations that are contracted by the U.S. government to do the day-to-day work, to help them get housing, to put enroll their kids in school, to do some of the life skills training and like the cultural training to help them find jobs and to like understand how to live in America, mm-hmm. to drive them to job interviews, all of those things that they do. So you can go to the HHS website in the Office of Refugee Resettlement, and they actually have a little map. And they have a search function and you can find your community or wherever you live on there. And it'll tell you who's doing that work in that community. And then you can support those organizations that are in your community because it's a little bit different everywhere. It depends on what 
uh, contracted organizations and NGOs exist in various places. So I think that's like one place people can help. The other thing is there are still NGOs operating on the ground in Afghanistan that are doing work and they're going to continue to need support, especially because it's a little bit questionable now how much like the big international donors like the U.S. government, the Mm -hmm. EU, um, how much money they're going to be able to push into Afghanistan programs. So a lot of those NGOs are going to continue to need financial support. And there's some really good ones doing great work on the ground. Um, Halo Trust is one of them. They're a demining organization. There's also it's an organization called Emergency. And they're like, I think their hashtag or their thing on social media is like emergency underscore NGO. They run hospitals across Afghanistan. They're in rural Afghanistan. They run hospitals in Kabul. In fact, their hospital is the hospital that absorbed um, all the victims from the bombing at the Abbey Gate or one of the hospitals. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they're very well, a well-known entity. They're still operating in Afghanistan. Um, the International Committee for the Red Cross is still operating there. When I was there in 2007, one of the things they operate are rehabilitation facilities for people that have lost limbs um, in conflict or also maybe just like by accident or um, birth defect things. So they help people um, adapt to um, being able to like live a functional life in Afghanistan, which isn't really a hospitable place for most disabled people. Yeah. So it's like Women for Women International. I'm not sure where they stand now. Mm -hmm. They were continuing to operate for a while. They've had some meetings with the Taliban, trying to keep some of their programs going. But we've also seen, I think, over the course of this week where the Taliban's kind of become increasingly reversed back to 1997 Taliban, no girls in high school. Um, I think this week, the city of Kabul, they forced all the women municipal workers to stay home and to be replaced with men, stuff like that. So I think supporting organizations that are still there doing their work and then in our communities, helping people that have come here to continue to be part of that community and to make them feel welcome. And to on the third thing is just to like understand where they came from, read more about Afghanistan, go find an Afghan restaurant, eat at it and understand their food. I think that's like a really simple like uh, thing you can do that isn't intimidating, that isn't just easy, things like that. Follow these journalists that are still there on social media, listen to their stories, follow yeah. them on Twitter, on Instagram, and just continue to be aware of what's happening because we created point. this mess. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's a little weird switching gears a little bit, but the last one I wanted to like bring, bring it up a little bit. Okay. But I had a, <laughs> I, I was asked at Tailhook, we were asked at Tailhook. <laughs> about this oh no and they did tell us i think i know where this ask <laughs> so this is a real gear shift a real yeah it's a so yeah a bit of a i'm doing this motion and it's a it's a timeout it's just like a timeout for a listener to know that this is this is going to be a this is what we call a 180 a real shift of the gears i think i know where this is going <laughs> but christy was very our friend christy was very like she was like you need to ask you need to to ask about this Okay. All right. So I will preface this story. Like, remember, I married my husband in 2018. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we haven't been married that long. I haven't been a military spouse that long. He's also <laughs> the commanding officer of his unit now. But when mm-hmm. Vibrator Gate happened, he was the executive officer. Okay. So like, he's like, you know, in that leadership phase of his 
career. Mm-hmm. So I guess we're, I'm supposed to act a certain way. You're supposed to be a lady. <laughs> In fact, I went to two weeks of training on how to act a certain way. Oh, yeah. Well, you're wearing the Officer shit out of that nap dress. Do they, so, do they teach you one. how to fold a napkin? Because they do that for the Air Force. <laughs> they teach you how to fold a napkin. Uh, there is definitely a conversation about mediating conflicts between spouses over the color of balloons at homecoming. Oh. And there was a lot of crying because I texted my husband on the first day in the first hour. And I was like, WTF, people are crying. <laughs> over the color of balloons. Over balloons? No, people, oh. I don't know. There was some like crazy <sighs> hypothetical story about someone getting closed off in a hatch in a submarine. And I don't know. It was just like crazy town. Was wine involved? Um, no. Oh, no. It was also no. like 830 in the morning. So I know it's just to act a certain way, but also it's like totally weird to me because there's this expectation for the spouses to behave a certain way when like the squadron, they're like freaking animals. I know. Oh, yeah. The shenanigans. It's really annoying. It's such a juxtaposition. Yeah. It's, well, it's, yeah. It's sexist and it's like archaic and like you feel like you're a 1950s housewife. It's like microaggressive. It's yeah. like, I don't know. It's like all of these things. And then you have a certain like sector of spouses that like totally buy into the, like all right. of those things. Oh yeah. No, there's and some then, Stafford wives out there. Yes. Then you have the ones that don't. And then you have the ones that don't, that will actually say that they don't. And that pool is like actually pretty small. So this is like to preface vibrator gate story. So last, so when the air wing deploys from Japan, they deploy every year and they're gone for six months. So as spouses, what do we do? We have to entertain ourselves and we like create like costume part. I don't know, all kinds of like ridiculousness. So one of the events last year that we created, I forget what they actually called it. I don't remember. You were just supposed to like do nice things for people. So we're like having a little planning meeting about what are we going to do for nice things for people? And the CEO spouse at the time, she goes, well, I was going to buy these little bags of candy. And then I was going to deliver them just to you guys, to your houses. My idea was that you would deliver things to people's houses. You could put signs on their door yeah. and everybody is like looking at each other. <laughs> like, some freaking candy. Uh, cool. okay. Awesome. So then it just like the brainstorming continues. And I'm like, what if we bought everybody vibrators? <laughs> That's and gifted them vibrators on their door. And then I get on my phone and I'm like, oh, Amazon Japan has $9 vibrators. How many could we buy? And then everyone in the room was like, yes, (laughs) this is why. I mean, I love the spouses in our spouse group. They're like, yes, let's do this. People are like, I'll give you $45. I'll give you $56. Like everybody's like throwing in money. I get on there. I order 20 vibrators. (laughs) Nice. Nice. So then he had a great like, maybe like <laughs> just curious. Yeah. I know. <laughs> for a 30 pack of vibrators, you know, they take They're like, is this my swingers off. party? That's yeah. a lot of vibrators to buy. <laughs> Three days later, I get a call from my husband that was like, um, <clears throat> can you <laughs> slow your roll on the vibrator thing? <laughs> and I'm like, how does he, you know, like yeah. I don't wonder how he knows. I know how <laughs> Went he up yeah. the chain of this command. Is all- <laughs> This is all like filtered back from like spouses yeah. know, like, talking about it on the yeah. boat. I think Christie's husband told her because we eventually did not give anyone a vibrator Aww. to make people happy. Did you have to return? Um, Were you able to return like 30 vibrators? No, my husband told me, he goes, when I'm a CEO, you can give anyone you want a vibrator. <laughs> so 
20 vibrators sat in my closet until earlier this summer. No, and then you gave them nice. So I'm glad, I'm glad at least you gave them out eventually. <laughs> Wait, did you give them out? I did. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't like hold on to those. Yeah. Well, no, that's not doing anybody any service. Yeah. No. And it's so funny because I think Christy's husband, like they left in December. So she would obviously wasn't here. You guys saw her tail hook. I think her husband told me, oh man, that would have been awesome. Like finally you guys do something cool. Yeah. Right. That would have been awesome. So I did. I, he did give <laughs> them out loved this it. summer. You did hand them out. Hand, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we did a couple, like we, we had like a little spirit week. Yeah. And um, we went and put them on people's doors with a little thing. I forget what it's photo evidence it was like of this. Big... Did it have a suction cup? <laughs> no, we just put oh. them in a little bag. Oh, in I a was bag. like, actually, <laughs> I'm just imagine you like we did it in the night. So I put them in bags and I was like, oh my God, what if someone's kid finds this before they do? <laughs> well, yeah. it, it could happen. Yeah. I but I got no complaints. Yeah. And then we did we had a party in our backyard with all the squadrons. We did we called it so I don't know if you guys do this. They do this thing called green lights uh-huh. where the squadron like shows up at the CEO's house, like I knew because they coordinated it with me. Oh, is this and a roof stomp? We do a roof stomp. Yeah. So they showed up, they show up here and do that. So then the CEO spouses, I had this idea, let's like reverse green light our spouses and like, just tell them book this date on your calendar from like eight to midnight or however late you want to yeah. go. Don't tell them what we're doing. Don't tell them where we're going. We were just in my backyard in the end. I'm sure they were like, oh, because they, there was like, one of my friends told me on the babysitter's page, there were like all these people like, I need it. Everybody had the same date and same time, but they need a babysitter. babysitter. <laughs> or like, me too, me too, me too, me too. Yeah. yeah. And so we played some games. We played a lot of beer die. Mm-hmm. Um, we played flip cup. And then we did some other games where there are prizes. So vibrators made it into the prize package. Nice. So. So yeah. some people might have two vibrators. <laughs> it's a gift. That yeah. Some people you. might have two vibrators. <laughs> you might a- after a deployment, you might need the second one. Sure. You wear that first one out. That's right. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So that's vibrator. I love gate. that. We weren't allowed to give them out. They eventually found, found their way. And hopefully they're, yeah, hopefully everyone's very happy. Yeah. But we're coming upon homecoming soon. So hopefully people won't need those. Yeah. Teach mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Maybe you didn't need it. Still want it. I would always keep it in the closet just in case. You never know. I mean, they, they leave to go on these like work trips all the freaking time. They might as well, you know, hold on to it. God knows. We did something. Well, we didn't here- do a vibrator gate, but we had like a pure romance party, which is like, that's the only MLM I'm buying into where it's literally like a vibrator MLM. Mm-hmm. And uh, I couldn't get a lot of people to come. I only got like, it was basically all the lieutenant spouse that like, <laughs> or the, I guess what in the Navy, it's not lieutenant. It's like the O2 spouses came. lieutenant jg yeah, yeah. and the, and those were the only ones i could get to come to my vibrator party i was like come on girls i mean those are man. my people when was this uh the first deployment so back in 2012 yeah. i would have i would have come to your vibrator yeah, yeah. it was great <laughs> we had a fantastic time we drank so much <laughs> alcohol and maybe well you probably bought alcohol for six to nine people and then three people yeah, showed up yeah literally three I think people like, showed up. yeah it was like four or five people at at the most mm. yeah and they were all lieutenant spouses so but i mean of course everybody left happy so that's i will say yes i mean i love all the spouses but the jo spouses are my people they're fun yeah they're a good time they're not salty quite yeah. yet i was gonna say yeah. they're so right. well rested and yeah full yeah. of piss and vinegar yeah. and just it's full of life yeah yeah 
Yeah. Military hasn't completely <laughs> bit them in the ass yet. Yeah. You know, they're not jaded quite mm-hmm. yet. Not jaded. Yeah. No. They're just up for a good time. Well, and then the, the good news is like, I caught them early. Yes. For all those reasons. Cause Japan, I think probably ages you in your spouse's career, like in twice the time. I don't know if it was like that in Korea and then bit. you throw COVID on top of it. Yeah. So they all leave here pretty jaded. And- yeah. Oh, yeah. But when you first get them. Yeah. 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 New blood, you're like, yes, yes, yes. I can hold yeah. you. Everybody wants to have fun. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a vibrator. You're like, that's your welcome gift. You know, like you're like, I'm sorry. What was your name again? Oh, Kate. Yeah. Here's oh, your they deploy a lot here. So you're going to want this. You're just like shaking their hand with a vibrator. Like, <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the. I know. Spot. Maybe I should put them in my, I like the little welcome baskets. Start putting them in there. Yeah. There you go. Their hands like. <laughs> It is You're nice to, to like me. the one person that's like a uh, ultra conservative. That's so going to be like, oh, <laughs> oh man. No, that's the only thing I was worried about. I was first when we did this. I was like, when I mentioned it in the room, I didn't know how it was going to go over, and yeah. then everybody was like, yes, and I was like, okay, all right, we're good, we're good here. This is a yeah. safe space to, safe. to yeah. talk about vibrators. Thank yeah. God. Yeah. Even the people I didn't expect yeah. are like, oh, that would have been so funny. <laughs> are so fun. Yeah. I'm so sad. You're like, oh, I didn't know you were you you had a free flag. You're like, all right, Susan. All right. I see oh, you. I see yeah. that right. with the you know the pearl necklace and the earrings. I just it all makes make... sense now. <laughs> oh, I get it now. Okay. You let your fleet fry or freak your free fry. This is what I love about being like if I have to say I'm a military spouse, is these things like I couldn't like in my normal life in my normal job yeah. with my like husbands or my colleagues spouses i would never like yeah right no yeah, never that. never but here why not or, it's yeah. a safe space a lot of the spouses are pretty chill yeah i mean especially yeah. well, i mean especially when your guys are gone all the time yeah. like, you kind of become bond. family yeah. i mean it's all you have mm-hmm. especially when you're overseas so you kind of look at them yeah. you know a different way yeah. than you might otherwise because right. you respect each yeah. other and you bond in ways that nobody else can really ever understand. Yeah. Even some of your family and friends yeah. back home. Right. So yes, especially overseas assignments. I mean, right. You're so it's a new level. Close. You're so close. Well, and here, like now, like because of COVID people haven't been able to go home Yeah, mm-hmm. for the most part. I mean, people have slowly, it, the rules have loosened up lately, but it's so it's a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of people don't want to do it. And definitely there's no one coming to yeah. visit you. So if you have something that goes like wrong in your life like miscarriages or you have a baby or a death in your family or any of those things like your family member isn't coming here Mm -hmm. to like support you or your friends from home aren't coming here to support you the only people you have are the people that are here with you yeah right so why not you know share in a vibrator not share the same vibrator but i just meant you know (laughs) i don't everybody gets their own yeah yeah you're not it's not used Listen, I get your heart on cash right now, but that's not a means. Of- <laughs> well, after you spend 10 grand on a tent. <laughs> I know. Are you going to go have a pure romance party now? I might. Oh. I mean, literally, I I think I've mentioned this to you about how, like, we need to, like, that's our next business venture. Like, partnership we have discussed is that we need to Moving into the sex toy line. Sex toy. Yeah. And yeah. then next year at Tailhook, you can set up your own booth. Yeah. That's what it'll we're, just that's... We'll be selling bullet vibrators. But we got to come up with, like, a really funny name well. for the vibrator. Come and get it. Well, it's top got coming top. in hot, coming <laughs> clear hot. Or, I don't know. We gotta we'll, we'll work brainstorm on it. more. Yeah, yeah, we'll work. We'll on drink it. more yeah. and brainstorm more. <laughs> to be continued. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, thank you so much for coming yeah. on. This was so much fun. And I, I'd love talking about what you do mm-hmm. with the state department mm-hmm. and your time in Afghanistan and like what, you know, we can continue to do to support, you know, our Afghan, Afghan allies. Mm-hmm. Well, Cheers. thanks for having me. I'm so glad to like talk to you guys and like real life not like instagram I know. It's, it's fun when you can see the faces that's like when we went to tailhook i was like i have oh met you on zoom and yeah. now i can physically yeah give you a hug yeah it was cool mm-hmm. yeah oh, maybe yeah. maybe a little tailhook yeah you know? i know yeah yeah wow. my husband's retiring so we are like so then you can go to Tailhook. you should totally turn down for what at tailhook you should come why not I know he's retired. We're when we leave Japan, his outgoing change of command will be his retirement. Yeah. And moving back to DC and like sailing off to the sunset, and he will be looking for an airline job. Mm. Yeah, as they do, as they do. Yeah. Well. Yep. It's a great we'll time. Tailhook next year. Yeah. It is. A, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of fun, and there's people, honestly, of like all ages, mm-hmm. all walks of life. Yeah. Like it's, it's we so were fun. embraced. It was. Um. Yeah. It was a. It was. <laughs> The stories are legit as far as the oh God, drinking yeah. at um, the, the nonstop alcohol. Lots to do. Good time. Yeah. Good people. Yeah. yeah. A lot of good people. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. Appreciate you coming on. And uh... Awesome. Yeah. Maybe I'll see you in person one day. Like, yeah. In real life. We'd love that. In real life. Totally. <laughs> anyway, so nice to meet you. Yeah. Have I know. Nice to meet you guys, too. All right, man. Cheers. We'll talk, talk soon. soon. Bye. Cheers.